Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, February 19, 2024. Alistair Crook joins us. Apologies for the late start. The technical gremlins seem to be visiting us uh, from time to time. Alistair, it's a pleasure. Uh, welcome here. As we come on air, there is some uh, relatively breaking news uh, in Israel about which you uh, recently informed me that the Israeli cabinet has voted unanimously that it will not accept any two-state solution. Um, that's significant that it's unanimous because there are moderate members in the cabinet. And a recent poll shows that 71% of the Israeli public favor the IDF attacking uh, Lebanon, Hezbollah or not. What do you make of these uh, two uh, breaking developments? I, I, well, for me, they were not unexpected. I, I think people have underrated the the sense in which, you know, Israel sees itself very much um, cornered. Uh, it's a sort of sees itself as a redoubt, the last redoubt for where Jews can be safe. And they see that the only way to keep this, only way to keep it is through um, deterrence, and they have to create a deterrence. They don't have any sort of depth, uh, if you like, strategic depth, so they need to keep deterrence. I'm only saying how this appears, I think, to a majority of Israelis, that they have to have a state in which Israelis are, uh, if you like, free from anxiety about their security, that they can go anywhere in the land of Israel. And just as important, that the states that surround them um, still learn to fear Israel and not to interfere with Israel because it has this ability to use overwhelming violence uh, in reaction and won't hesitate to do it. And this is a deterrence that they believe they need in order to survive in the Middle East as a redoubt, or as a one per, per, per person put it, as a sort of eschatological garrison, a last redoubt against, you know, Armageddon and everything that the biblical predictions have suggested for them. Is a, a vote like this uh, corrupt, by which I mean 
you know, a vote in the American Congress against the two-state solution would be radically influenced by uh, the Israeli lobby, the military-industrial complex, the various forces, the American intelligence community, the various forces that has a vice grip on the Congress. Is a vote in the Israeli cabinet, particularly a unanimous one, a credible and intellectually honest, or is it subject to the same forces and pressures that I've just articulated for the U.S. Congress? No, it's a serious vote because it also reflects public opinion. Seventy-five um, percent, three quarters of Israelis would agree with that vote, would accept it. Things have changed since the seventh of October, and Israel has moved strongly towards the right and towards a reassertion of deterrence, both a domestic deterrence on the ground to create security. Uh, and, if you like, uh, a restoration of the sense that they are feared by other states. And both of were collapsed on the 7th of October. And so this, I think, reflects a genuine input. But it reflects something else, because people are too ready just to ignore it and to say, oh, well, you know, this may not be very serious, this is politicking. I think it's not politicking. I think that actually they are very serious about the idea that they have to restore deterrence. Uh, they have to restore deterrence by in Gaza uh, by showing that you know it, uh, low intensity conflict will be met by overwhelming military force, the bombing of Gaza, the destruction of the of the whole cities uh, there. Um, and at the external, it needs to be shown um, that Israel is not defeated, that it is full of deterrent power. So I think this is, I think people need to start taking it seriously because actually um, the real problem is that is Israel uh, does not have any solution, any alternative, and it is compelled to take these sort of actions. It feels absolutely compelled to take them. And if you like, it feels checkmated into having to take them because they do not see any solution. And by solution, I mean two-state solution is off the table as far as they're concerned. So what solution is there except to try and restore some form of deterrence, both internally and externally? They are cornered. And this is why the situation in the Middle East is so dangerous and why it's possible uh, that Israel will actually um, take action. Um, and it seems to be prepared. I, I put in a, a report I've written. I mean, we can see, in fact, you know, that there are four Israeli divisions in the north of Israel on the border of Lebanon, as opposed to the usual one. And they, where have they come from? They've come from Gaza. In fact, Gaza is actually really quite depleted of Israeli military forces. I think there's one division, but they can't move them because they're stuck <laughs> in Khan Yunus mostly. And so um, actually they are running out of solutions and so feel compelled to act in this way. So I think we should take it quite seriously, this, um, this vote. It, is there... Because is there a near unanimity or at least a overwhelming majority in favor of the slaughter, the rampant slaughter of innocents and ethnic cleansing and genocide in Gaza? Yes, 
There is. Uh, and, you know, more than, I think it was 46% of um, Israelis in a recent poll, something like 91% um, approved of what was happening in Gaza. 46% didn't approve because it, they felt it hadn't gone far enough. So, so that's I what, I mean, yes, there is. I mean, we're talking about something much more primal, much more um, emotional, much more far away from strategic rationality. We're talking about uh, people, uh, if you like, a bloodlust that, uh, that has come up. Uh, and these things are, are uh, when they consume people, they consume them with a deep passion. You have a piece out uh, over the weekend entitled The Resistance as a Plan for Israel. Who or what is the resistance? Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yes, that's an important question because people are not quite sure what it means. It's a group of um, militia and, if you like, informal movements that do not are not part of a state, per se, like Hezbollah, uh, like the Hashad al-Shaabi, which is the Iraqi, resistance groups like uh, as uh, like the houthis in in yemen um like other groups that support um the um if you like the palestinian cause uh, and in fact there's a sort of symmetry um they do not see any way that they can palestine can exist and this was the point they don't see any way, they see no other solutions except that Israel has to be psychologically deterred. It has to be have its consciousness, its psyche seared by some form of defeat until it feels defeated, until it feels, if you like, um, that uh, exhausted, that it finally is prepared to give up the idea of Zionism, the idea that there are special rights and a very special position of Jews in the Middle East and either live like everyone else, every other inhabitant of the Middle East, but no more special rights, no more exceptionalism, no more overwhelming military violence in order to, to, to preside over the Middle East. So on that side too, there is a sense now, they, 
the, the nation states stand back from this resistance movement. The resistance movement coordinates amongst itself. It has a control room that moves locations. So they're coordinating. You see images of them. They're all together and they're all thanking each other and talking to each other. So it is quite a, a large movement, but it keeps apart from the nation states structures, whether it's Syria or whether it is in Lebanon, and acts simply as an informal actor in the region. But there's no doubt that the nation states, many of them also support it. And there's no doubt there is massive, very strong feeling um, in the Middle East and in the Islamic world as a whole in support uh, of what uh, they're doing. Whether the Houthis have become sort of a mythical force of um, uh, anti-colonialism, anti-Israelis, because they see this as a colonial. The settlements are a form of a sort of settler colonialism. And this is how they see it. The aim of the settlements was from 73, after the 73 war, when Israel took back the Sinai, the determination of Israel is that no more of the occupied territories would be ever relinquished. And so they started the process of settler colonialism uh, in, in the West Bank in order to prevent a Palestinian state ever coming into being. And largely, it seems they've been uh, uh, successful. But the resistance groups see this, understand that, and that's why they say, only when they talk about a defeat, when they're not talking about the death of the Israelis, but that they have to psychologically be defeated, they have to be exhausted, and they have to be prepared to live in the Middle East without um, Zionism as the principles on which the state is built. Now, that whether that happens or not is going to be the trial of strength that has currently taken place in the region. On the one hand, Israel, backed entirely by the United States, uh, uh, wholeheartedly, and Europe and Britain particularly. And on the other hand, um, you have the resistance movements that are slowly increasing it, the, the pressure. And the key point, really, for, for your listeners is, you know, America also is in checkmate because it doesn't have any good solutions to this problem. It, its old solutions are, are gone. The old solutions of overwhelming our air power, of bombing like we saw in Iraq, because the, the techniques of defense have changed. So in these last 20 years or so, Iran and other states have buried on everything that is valuable, important, strategically significant, deep underground, 70 meters underground, and they have developed and spent a lot of research and money on drones, on fast missiles. That's their air force. You know, the, the West no longer has total air dominance as it used to. And we've seen the change taking place in Iraq where the whole methodology of war has changed dramatically. The old war, the desert storms of Iraq, over, you know, tanks thundering through the desert and a cloud of dust and smashing Saddam's tanks out of the way. You couldn't do it today. It's impossible. With surveillance, satellites, drones, all of this technique, you can't move mass tanks, mass forces. So, 
So we're into a new form of technological war. And the West, and America in particular, has never changed. It stays in the post-war idea of overwhelming force and tanks and armaments and surface equipment, and they're not adjusting to um, this change that takes place. When we all talk about a swarm of drones now in Ukraine, for example, it's a swarm of drones, many, many, maybe 100, 200, which communicate with one another, which through AI and are ordering each other and keeping in their structure by AI themselves without external influence. And then at the right moment, they identify the target and then they dele delegate certain of these drones to attack it. Mm. And so a mass of tanks are just finished like that. I mean, there's no artillery, there's no enemy tanks involved. The drones think about it and organize it and come in and the killer drones are sent off from the swarm and, uh, and destroy, um, whether it is Abrams or Challenger or Merkova tanks, doesn't matter. So we're in a new warfare. When, um, when you mentioned the resistance, um, I'm going to put up some maps in a minute because as we, as we speak, we're actually just finished speaking, but a few minutes ago he finished speaking, uh, a lawyer uh, representing the Palestinian Authority speaking before the International uh, Court of Justice in The Hague. Uh, it's a long talk, but we're going to run a short clip in which he puts up five maps showing uh, what the resistance believes the uh, Jewish people, the Israelis, have done uh, to Palestine. It's very, very uh, interesting because you hear his words and you can see it uh, depicted graphically. And the final map is one being held by uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, <laughs> shortly before yeah. this very famous picture, shortly before yeah. uh, October 7th. So, Chris, let's run that clip. Allow me now to show you five maps. The first one is historic Palestine. This is the territory over which the Palestinian people should have been able to exercise their right to self-determination. Instead, the General Assembly recommended the partition of Palestine, ignoring the will of our people, as shown in the second map. With the Nakba that ensued, over two-thirds of our people were systematically and forcibly expelled by Israel. And three-fourths of Palestine became Israel, as shown in the third map. This was the start of the Nakba, the disposition, the displacement and replacement of our people, the denial of rights and discrimination that continues to this very day. In 1967, Israel then occupied the remainder of Palestine and from the first day of its occupation, started colonizing and annexing the land with the aim of making its occupation irreversible. It left us with a collection of disconnected Pantustans, preventing the independence of our state, as shown in Map 4. Israel wanted the, uh, the geography of Palestine, but not its demography. 
So it kept pushing our people out, out of their homes, out of their land. Here is the fifth map. It was displayed by Israel's Prime Minister to the General Assembly last September. He called this the new Middle East. This is no, there is no Palestine at all on this map. Only Israel, comprised of all the land from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. This shows you what the prolonged, continuous Israeli occupation of Palestine is intended to accomplish. The complete disappearance of Palestine and the destruction of the Palestinian people. The complete disappearance of Palestine and the destruction of the Palestinian people. Is this the view that the resistance and the people in the streets have? Is this history generally accepted by them? Yes, completely. This is what I talk about when I talk about settler colonialism. This has been going on, as he said, for the years. It had a, a sort of a great uptick after the 73 war, and it is about the assimilation of land by demography and by physical means, and also then uh, borrowing from Sharon's military experience in the Sinai, separating and dividing and keeping the Palestinians uncertain on ill-formed boundaries, no security, different layers of legal um, administrative security protection to keep them insecure in order to give, um, if you like, Israel is living in the, um, beyond the green line in, in the occupied territories, to give them security, you had to give the Palestinians a sense of radical insecurity. And that is precisely, you've summed up exactly what the, 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 what the, 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 the resistance is about. And so they don't see any sort of political solution. How, how could there be a political solution to that salami slicing over the years from, from that time? They don't see that. They think the only way is some sort of struggle that will and finally in, if you like, exhaustion in a defeat that Israel will come to the terms that Zionism just is not a viable principle to run a state, especially as there are now 7 million Palestinians and 7 million Jews living between the river and the sea. And so demography is removing the idea of a one, uh, a, a one person, a one people, a, uni, a uni, unilateral state, a unified state, because then it's not going to be workable for most Israelis to live in a state where they do not have um, uh, the privileges that are necessary to face what they see as their biblical future. The um, fanatic member of uh, one of two or three, a member of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's cabinet, a gentleman by the name of Itamar Ben-Gavir, the one who's uh, mm -hmm. the head of internal security, roughly the head of the equivalent of being the head of America's FBI, the one who said that if uh, children or women get, to, Palestinian children or women get too close to the border uh, between Gaza and Israel, that they should receive uh, a bullet uh, in the head. Uh, the one who holds the keys to Netanyahu's government, because if he and his other fanatics leave the coalition, Netanyahu doesn't have 
uh, uh, majority, says that um, uh, Hezbollah strike on Safed, uh, the area in um, uh, where Israeli settlers are, is a declaration of war. Okay, that's a long-winded yeah. question. My my real question is: Does Netanyahu believe this? Yes. Yeah, he's believed it for a long time. I think in the 70s, he was writing a book with Max Hastings. And he said, listen, in the next war, in the next war, if we play it right, there will be no Arabs in this territory at all. They'll all have gone. So, I mean, that was from the 1970s. And progressively, he's uh, allied himself more closely. But I think, you know, the, the, the key point is, you know, it's time to stop viewing the people like um, uh, <clears throat> uh, Smotrich and Ben Gavir as such extremists that they don't represent, have no real representation in the Israeli people. Uh, 7th of October have changed people's views, have made them passionate, have made them feel there's no alternative but killing everyone in Gaza. It's a terrible thing to say, but that's how many of them are, are feeling now. They don't feel deterrence. They won't feel that security and safety. They've just been asking people to go back in the next few months and to go back to the north. And all of the people in the hotels in the Dead Sea are saying, no, we're never going back to some of these settlements. It's finished. And they're declaring the end of the Zionist project. And this is unacceptable to the majority of Jews, both in Israel and outside of Israel, because the, the Jewish state, let's be face it and be frank, was to fund it in order to say, never again in Auschwitz. We are going to be safe in our area and secure. Only, I mean, the fact is, as you saw, to achieve that, they have, if like, assimilated and practiced the settler colonialism and in the region uh, a form of military, um, if you like, overmatch which was designed to not allow anyone to challenge them in any way. Well, now they are being challenged by a sort of asymmetrical force uh, that has left America with little choices, little solutions, firing rockets at the Iraqis, at the Houthis. But it doesn't work anymore because that type of military um, defense was effective in the past, but it isn't effective now. Look what's happened. Those carriers have gone. Firing missiles into Iraq is not going to calm Iraq. It's not going to stop the Houthis. They, all of these things are, are cascading into a failure that will really blight um, the United States, and particularly Biden, because it will end up unless either the United States reads the right act to Israel and says, look, you're not going to succeed in this. I mean, you're not going to succeed. You can't take on the whole world in this way. Unless they say, come to your senses. Your, this Zionist project has never worked and is not working. You've got to rethink how to live in the Middle East or go or whatever. But Israel, but the United States does the opposite and supports it with these rather futile acts. And this is going to bring a failure down on the shoulders of the United States, which is going to affect its position in the whole world. Does the United States, do the United States elites 
does the United States State Department, does the White House lack the understanding uh, of the situation as you've just described it, or because of the power of the Israeli lobby in the United States, do they lack the will to do anything about it other than their blind, continuous support for the Israeli uh, Defense Force slaughter in Gaza? It's clear that Washington, I'm talking then about, you know, the the very senior people around the White House, are really concerned uh, that the proposals being made by Washington, the type of state that they're proposing, just won't fly and that it will fail and that America will bear the consequences for this. And so they're very concerned that there's going to be a cascading failure for America with these tactics and with this approach of sort of embracing um, Israel and then being drawn more and more in to something that becomes a, a, a possibly very serious regional war. Wow. All right, Alistair, thank you very much. I mean, this stuff is so uh, unpleasant and so uh, gloomy and so and so dark. Well, let me ask you one, one other question. Um, <laughs> If the Israelis do attack uh, Hezbollah, is that an unwise thing to do, no matter how popular it may be? I mean, the last time they fought Hezbollah, they some people say they fought to a draw. Most people say they lost. It's The problem is hubris. Hubris in the United States, hubris in Israel. They can't imagine how Israel could ever suffer a real military defeat they cannot imagine how the uh, uh, the Israeli Defense Force could lose a war with Hezbollah. Uh, I think this is hubristic because we will see if this is what happens. But Hezbollah is a formidable military force now. It's not a, a group of barefooted tribesmen, um, as they like to call most of the um, pe- people in the resistance, particularly the Houthis. How on earth do these barefooted tribesmen um, manage to um, defy the United States? Well, they are. Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, uh, my dear friend, no matter what we're we're talking about. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Sorry it was gloomy. Uh, no, 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 no. But listen, uh, your your uh, your analysis is is not only spot on; it's second to none. So deeply, it is deeply and profoundly appreciated, as you know, uh, by uh, by all of our viewers, and of course by me. Thank you so much, my dear friend. Thank uh, you. Of course, coming up uh, later uh, this morning, uh, American Eastern uh, Time, uh, Ray McGovern, Larry Johnson, and this afternoon from antiwar.com, Kyle Anzalone. All of our regulars uh, this week, all of your favorites. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.